Lupin's marriage. He fastened the letter to the parcel and lowered both through the window with a length of string. Good, he said. That's all right. It's a weight off my mind. He waited a few minutes longer, stalking up and down the room and smiling at the portraits of two gallant gentlemen hanging on the wall. Horace de Sarzo Vendome, Marshal of France, and you, the great Conde, I salute you, my ancestors both. Lupin de Sarzo Vendome will show himself worthy of you. At last, when the time came, he took his hat and went down. But when he reached the ground floor, Angelique burst from her rooms and exclaimed with a distraught air, I say, if you don't mind, I think you had better... And then, without saying more, she went in again, leaving a vision of irresponsible terror in her husband's mind. She's out of sorts, he said to himself. Marriage doesn't suit her. He lit a cigarette and went out, without attaching importance to an incident that ought to have impressed him. Poor Angelique. This will all end in divorce. This will all end in a divorce. The night outside was dark, with a cloudy sky. The servants were closing the shutters of the castle. There was no light in the windows, it being the Duke's habit to go to bed soon after dinner. Lupin passed the gatekeeper's lodge, and as he put his foot on the drawbridge, said, Leave the gate open. I am going for a breath of air. I shall be back soon. The patrol path was on the right and ran along one of the old ramparts, which used to surround the castle with a second and much larger enclosure, until it ended at an almost demolished postern gate. The park, which skirted a hillock and afterwards followed the side of a deep valley, was bordered on the left by thick coppices. What a wonderful place for an ambush, he said. A regular cutthroat spot. He stopped, thinking that he heard a noise. But no, it was a rustling of the leaves. And yet a stone went rattling down the slopes, bounding against the rugged projections of the rock. But strange to say, nothing seemed to disquiet him. The crisp sea breeze came blowing over the plains of the headland, and he eagerly filled his lungs with it. What a thing it is to be alive, he thought. Still young, a member of the old nobility, a multimillionaire, what more could a man want? At a short distance, he saw against the darkness the yet darker outline of the chapel, the ruins of which towered above the path. A few drops of rain began to fall, and he heard a clock strike nine. He quickened his pace. There was a short descent, then the path rose again, and suddenly he stopped once more. A hand had seized his. He drew back, tried to release himself. But someone stepped out from the clump of trees against which he was brushing, and a voice said, Shh, not a word. He recognized his wife, Angelique. What's the matter? he asked. She whispered so low that he could hardly catch the words. They are lying in wait for you. They're in there in the ruins with their guns. Who? Keep quiet. Listen. They stood for a moment without stirring, and she said, They're not moving. Perhaps they never heard me. Let's go back. 
but come with me. Her accent was so imperious that he obeyed without further question. But suddenly she took fright. Run! They're coming! I'm sure of it! True enough, they heard a sound of footsteps. Then, swiftly, still holding him by the hand, she dragged him with irresistible energy along a shortcut, following its turns without hesitation in spite of the darkness and the brambles, and they very soon arrived at the drawbridge. She put her arms in his. The gatekeeper touched his cap. They crossed the courtyard and entered the castle, and she led him to the corner tower in which both of them had their apartments. Come in here, she said. To your rooms? Yes. Two maids were sitting up for her. Their mistress ordered them to retire to their bedrooms on the third floor. Almost immediately after, there was a knock at the door of the outer room, and a voice called, Angelique? Is that you, father? she asked, suppressing her agitation. Yes. Is your husband here? We have just come in. Tell him I want to speak to him. Ask him to come to my room. It's important. Very well, father. I'll send him to you. She listened for a few seconds, then returned to the boudoir where her husband was and said, I'm sure my father is still there. He moved as though to go out. In that case, if he wants to speak to me. My father is not alone, she said quickly, blocking his way. Who is with him? His nephew, Jacques d'Amboise. There was a moment's silence. He looked at her with a certain astonishment, failing quite to understand his wife's attitude. But without pausing to go into the matter, Ah, so that dear old Domboise is there, he chuckled. Then the fat's in the fire. <laughs> Unless, indeed... My father knows everything, she said. I overheard a conversation with him just now. His nephew has read certain letters. I hesitated at first about telling you. Then I thought that my duty... He studied her afresh, but at once conquered by the queerness of the situation, he burst out laughing. What? Don't my friends on board ship burn my letters? And they have let their prisoner escape. <laughs> the idiots. Oh, when you don't see to everything yourself. <laughs> no matter, it's distinctly humorous. D'Amboise versus D'Amboise. Oh, but suppose I was no longer recognized. Suppose D'Amboise himself were to confuse me with himself. <laughs> He turned to a washstand, took a towel, dipped it in the basin, and soaped it, and, in the twinkling of an eye, wiped the makeup from his face and altered the set of his hair. That's it, he said, showing himself to Angelique under the aspect in which she had seen him on the night of the burglary in Paris. I feel more comfortable like this for a discussion with my father-in-law. Where are you going? she cried, flinging herself in front of the door. Why, to join the gentleman. You shall not pass. Why not? Suppose they kill you. Kill me? That's what they mean to do, to kill you. To hide your body somewhere. Who would know of it? Very well, he said. From their point of view, they're quite right. But if I don't go to them, they will come here. That door won't stop them. Nor you, I'm thinking. Therefore, it's better to have done with it. Follow me, commanded Angelique. She took up the lamp that lit the room, went into her bedroom, pushed aside the wardrobe which slid easily on hidden casters, pulled back an old tapestry hanging, and said, Here is a door that has not been used for years. My father believes the key to be lost. I have it here. 
unlock the door with it. A staircase in the wall will take you to the bottom of the tower. You need only to draw the bolts of another door, and you will be free. He could hardly believe his ears. Suddenly he grasped the meaning of Angelique's whole behavior. In front of that sad, plain, but wonderfully gentle face, he stood for a moment discountenanced, almost abashed. He no longer thought of laughing. A feeling of respect mingled with remorse and kindness overcame him. Why are you saving me? he whispered. You are my husband, he protested. No, no, I have stolen that title. The law will never recognize my marriage. My father does not want a scandal, she said. Just so, he replied. Just so, I foresaw that, and that is why I had your cousin Domboise near at hand. Once I disappear, he becomes your husband. He is the man you have married in the eyes of men. You are the man I have married in the eyes of the church. The church? The church? There are means of arranging matters with the church. Your marriage can be annulled. On what pretext that we can admit? He remained silent, thinking over all those points which he had not considered, all those points which were trivial and absurd for him, but which were serious for her. And he repeated several times, This is terrible. This is terrible. I should have anticipated. And suddenly, seized with an idea, he clapped his hands and cried, There! I have it! I'm hand in glove with one of the chief figures of the Vatican. The Pope never refuses me anything. I shall obtain an audience, and I have no doubt that the Holy Father, moved by my entreaties, his plan was so humorous and his delight so artless that Angelique could not help smiling. And she said, I'm your wife in the eyes of God. She gave him a look that showed neither scorn nor animosity, not even anger. And he realized that she omitted to see in him the outlaw and the evildoer, and remembered only the man who was her husband, and to whom the priest had bound her until the hour of death. He took a step toward her and observed her more attentively. She did not lower her eyes at first, but she blushed. And never had he seen so pathetic a face marked with such modesty and such dignity. He said to her, as on that first evening in Paris, Oh, your eyes, the calm and sadness of your eyes, the beauty of your eyes. She dropped her head and stammered, Go away, go. In the presence of her confusion, he received a quick intuition of the deeper feelings that stirred her, unknown to herself. To that spinster soul, of which he recognized the romantic power of imagination, the unsatisfied yearnings, the poring over old-world books, he suddenly represented, in that exceptional moment and in consequence of the unconventional circumstances of their meetings, somebody special, a Byronic hero, a chivalrous brigand of romance. One evening, in spite of all obstacles, he, the world-famed adventurer, already ennobled in song and story and exalted by his own audacity, had come to her and slipped the magic ring upon her finger, a mystic and passionate betrothal, as in the days of the Corsair and Hernani, 
Greatly moved and touched, he was on the verge of giving way to an enthusiastic impulse and exclaiming, Let us go away together, let us fly. You are my bride, my wife, share my dangers, my sorrows, and my joys. It will be a strange and vigorous, a proud and magnificent life. But Angelique's eyes were raised to his again, and they were so pure and so noble that he blushed in his turn. This was not the woman to whom such words could be addressed. He whispered, Forgive me. I am a contemptible wretch. I have wrecked your life. No, she replied softly. On the contrary, you have shown me where my real life lies. He was about to ask her to explain, but she had opened the door and was pointing the way to him. Nothing more could be spoken between them. He went out without a word, bowing very low as he passed. A month later, Angélique de Sarzeau-Vendôme, Princess de Bourbon-Condé, lawful wife of Arsène Lupin, took the veil, and, under the name of Sister Marie-Auguste, buried herself within the walls of the Visitation Convent. On the day of the ceremony, the Mother Superior of the convent received a heavy sealed envelope containing a letter with the following words. For Sister Marie-Auguste's poor. Enclosed with the letter were 500 banknotes of a 1,000 francs each. <laughs>